Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. I love talking to smart people. Uh, and these two ladies, they have written a, a workbook, really. It's a workbook. It's called Courageous Discomfort. Let me welcome to the show Shatara McBride and Rosalind Wiseman. Welcome, ladies. It is an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Shantara. 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 Shantara like Shangela. All right. Yes. I got you, Shantara. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Hi, 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 hi. Now, you both are in um, in D.C. right now. Tonight, you're going to be, um, you're at Busboys and Poets. Those of you who are in the D.C. area, you know Busboys and Poets. It uh, Rock Newman does a show out of there, or he used to, uh, and you're hosting an event. Uh, yep. tell, us, tell us a little bit about it, and then we're going to jump into the book. So we're going to do a book discussion and signing. We're at the 14th and V location. Um, and our one of Rosalind's closest friends she's known since elementary school, Josh Edelman, <laughs> is actually going to moderate a discussion with us. Um, we've had a couple of book signings. We've had moderators. But I must say that I'm looking forward to this because meeting somebody that's known Ross since, what, fourth grade? <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> okay. Now, you guys are billed as best friends. So... Mm-hmm. Shantara and Roslyn, how did you guys meet? And then how did you become best friends? Oh, I do it. Okay. All right. Um, So Shantara, who's from Dallas, um, was working in Washington, D.C. at a um, nonprofit. And a friend of mine, colleague of mine, called me one day and said, you know, I've just hired somebody who's going to leave me and go work with you like real soon. And then y'all are going to be like best friends. And I said, nah, come on. Cause I really, he'd never said anything like that to me before. And, um, but he was right because actually a few years later, um, she did come visit me. She did come to work with me. And then I tried to give her my entire, I tried to like have her take over the entire thing, but she turned me down. So, um, (laughs) And then nope. um, and then no and then we always have been working we've always we've worked together for about five years um and then we both went our separate ways work-wise but we were always supporting each other in all the different things that we were doing and then I think it was inevitable um that we would do something together like this so just now I mean it really does seem inevitable that we would do this because it's really the book is really an extension of the conversations we've been having for a really long time all right. Yeah. So it's build two best friends, one black woman and one white woman take on the conversation of quote race in America with this new book, courageous discomfort. All right. Um, racism made up construct number one, but it mm-hmm. racism is not racism is real. We, we deal mm-hmm. with it every single day because it's part of the fabric of this country. I'm, I'm of the belief that it is so endemically in our psyche that most of us walk around with anti-black feelings, uh, deep-seated anti-blackness, no matter what your background is, to the point that I think it's almost impossible. It's not impossible. I wouldn't sit here every day. What's the biggest challenge um, of of being friends in a world Mm. that sees both of you uh, Mm. in such different ways? Mm. I'll start. I think one of the hardest things, and you know this, um, just as a Black woman living in America, it's exhausting. And having to explain 
over and over again, not only the importance of my existence and, and the, the um, I shouldn't have to beg to be treated with dignity. And dignity is a theme throughout the book. Um, but even having to, you know, say to Rosalind, you know, through our years, like, okay, this is happening and this is real and her hearing me. Like, it's not being this, oh, you're making this up. No, this is this is real, but no matter what, it's still exhausting. It's exhausting. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think writing the book, I tell people all the time, I believe in the power of prayer and the power of talking to a good therapist. So needing to, to work out my own stuff as I was writing this, because it, it just being Black in America, wanting to make sure that I wouldn't sound too angry, because if we sound too angry, then white people reading may get uncomfortable and upset. So I'm so telling you, right? They need to be uncomfortable, Shantara. Oh, they will be. Mm. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> and Which is why it's called courageous discomfort. Absolutely. Right, give me a, an exhausting dis discomfort. Uh, give me an exhausting, uncomfortable moment that illustrates what you're talking about. So having to explain, I mean, microaggressions, having to explain, and Ross talks about this um, a lot that I would, I would use the statement systemic racism to explain a lot of the stuff happening in America. And even her telling me, well, you got to break that down because white people aren't going to understand that. And going through the frustration of, oh my gosh, not having to understand it, like living in a world where you don't have to understand systemic racism, that is a privilege in itself. Mm. And so ha that was exhausting. That was frustrating, but it made me a better writer. So Rosalind, um, Shantara, Shantara is, is, is saying something because I'm, <sighs> I, I've stopped trying. If you're uncomfortable, mm -hmm. that's a you problem. I'm mm -hmm. not, my job is not to educate you. Yeah. So I feel, I feel very like, and I, and I waver cause I'm on the radio, you know, every day where it's like, I'm a, and I'm also an educator. So it's like part of, part of the assignment is to educate, but I'm, I'm in the Shantara tired. Uh, it's exhausting. And I don't want to be tired. I'm, I'm like Fanny Lou yeah. Hamer. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. What was the, the moment for you where you were like, ah, and are you super sensitive to the point where there are places that you don't tread because the ground is too shaky? Oh, in our relationship or yes. in the writing of the book? Both. Or, I guess both. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think that there are times when we have to take our time um, and and decide, you know, if, if we're having, we've gotten over the years around these issues, we have really had intense conversations. And sometimes there were times when it was too much, right? Where people, we had to like stop for a moment and then come back another day. And I think this goes back back to that we're not just best friends. We would not have written this book because she's a black woman and I'm a white woman. That's not does not give that does, that doesn't give me certainly the um, the you know the grounding the foundation to be able to write this book. We've been working on these issues about having uncomfortable conversations with people around the country on all different kinds of things for a very long time, and we both are very skilled in being able to ha to sit with people that don't think they're going to agree with us. And we are skilled in being um, in so-called very conservative communities and you know liberal communities and calling them out in a way that, that a lot of times people can hear. So I, I do think that's a really important part of this because yes, our friendship enabled us to have uncomfortable conversations and to be able to trust each other. So 
Shantara, for example, when she said the thing about systemic racism, I, she gives me the benefit of the doubt of me saying to her, we're also writing a book, right? Where I say, we need to do more. We need to, I know it's ed educating, but that's part of what we decided to do with this book. And so I know, I, I understand your, it, this is exhausting. It's hard. We can take our time and we, we together are partnering to do this. And I um, mean, I need to listen. And the way we define listening is being prepared to be changed by what we hear. But there were times, honestly, I mean, there was a time when Shantara came to visit me um, when we were working on the book where we talk a lot without words being said. And she looked at me in this particular moment and I, and I, we immediately got super angry at each other. And I was, I wasn't backing down. I was like, we got to, we got to do better. We got to do better. Like we got to explain this more. That's what the part point of his book is and she got we got into it with each other and we let it settle and we you know came back to another day because our that's what our relationship is like but I don't you know it's not fun being getting into a real you know heated painful not only difficult arguments but or discussions or disagreements but things that you know are going to are going to be painful for the other person I mean that's you know, I, I know that. And that's really, and that, that was one of the harder things for me is to, you know, is to really be able to be there next to her, support her and allow the pain and not want to say something to make it better and then keep going, you know, keep going. That was, you know, it was hard, but that's, mm. I think that's our relationship. We're talking with Rosalind Wiseman, who is talking now. She's written many books, including Mean Girls, which is interesting. Uh, Lindsay Lohan just posted something today. Today is the anniversary of Mean Girls, I believe. The... Oh, it's October 3rd. Yes, right? yes. Right. Mine like... in the film where she said, yeah. <laughs> I, see, I, I, that's not as important to me by far, flat out, as this book. Okay. Flat out. Okay. Flat well, out. congratulations <laughs> to that. Is, well, thank is... you. <laughs> How many black friends have you had, Rosalind, in your life? Um, well, one of them is our moderator this evening. Um, I, I don't. So, I don't, and, and, I, and also I, weird question. So here's what, here's what yeah. here's what is informing this question, right? Sure. Uh, NBC did a poll. Uh, Washington Post, I think, and NBC did a poll in uh, 2014, and this is stuck in my head, and I don't think it's changed. And as a matter of fact, since 2014, we've had a dumpster fire named Trump as president. So, uh, where more white people, particularly white women, voted for him the second time around, which tells me everything I need yeah. to know about the state of this country. But it, it, the, the poll stunned me because three fourths. It said three fourths. 75% of what I call melanemic people, because white is a made up construct, melanemic people self-segregate. They on yeah. purpose do not have any relationship with anybody black. They do not yeah. on purpose. So it would be not unusual to be raised in an environment with no black people, therefore very few black friends, right? Because you would have to go out of your way to make those relationships. Whereas black people are forced and foisted into situations all the time where we are forced to interact. And therefore most of us code switch or we, we we bury our true selves because we have to protect ourselves from the microaggressions that Shantara was talking about. So forging yeah. friendships is very difficult in a country, which it is almost by edict. Even New York, I, I used to cover education. New York City, one of the most diverse cities in the world, 
schools segregated. You got 90%. Yeah. How do you have a 95, 99% white school in New York City? It's almost impossible, yeah. yet it happens. Yeah, it ha- and right, sure. I mean, we work in education and we know, Shantara and I know a lot about how that happens. Um, and that has a lot to, I mean, I will say that has, I'll answer a couple of your questions. You asked me about black friends. And um, I mean, I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I had always had friends who are of all different races. Um, but then, flat out, I, we moved to Boulder, Colorado 10 years ago, and my world got a lot more white. When Shantara came to visit me, we would be biking or walking, and she would, <laughs> she would do this thing. One of us would do this thing. If we saw a black person, right, we would put up our, like, how many we were seeing, right? I don't think we got to our second hand. Um, and, um, but I have not, I, I just had, that's just not something that I do about, like, I don't, I, you know, about counting or things like that, because it's really important. I just, my life is filled with different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you and, moved to a place, yeah. and I don't know if you're raising children there. Oh, that, I don't know how many minutes we got. This is what is a big one. This is a big, messy topic for me. And we could totally go there. <laughs> go, let's go. Let's go. So, okay. So moved to Boulder um, and didn't under, and even though I was in education and I'm, I'm not, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I have these moments of shame sometimes that I have to move through. One of the things we talk about in the book is that emotions are real, but they're not permanent and you can move through it. And um, I didn't as, and as I, it's almost like this, I've often wondered about why it was that I didn't think about what was happening when we moved to Boulder. And obviously it's privilege and, you know, some of that's there, but we, um, so my older son moved, left uh, Boulder because he had grown up in a much more diverse community in DC and left, came back East um, to finish out his high school. And both of my kids have sought that out and, for the first like five, six years that I was in Boulder, I wasn't, it was like the world sort of, I raised kids. I was doing as much as I, I, I realized is that how much privilege can give you the um, luxury of being blind or of not doing something. And I think I didn't write, I did not write this book because of that experience. That is not, that is, that is not, I wrote, I wanted to write the book because I felt like I had worked in education for a long time and I knew how racist things were. And I've been doing things in a small, you know, small ways in these schools, or I'd written about them in Queen Bees or in Masterminds. I'd always written about it. I'd always worked on it and been quietly um, or more informally um, working on these issues. And I wasn't as explicit as I needed to be. And I really had been feeling this growing feeling of, I need to do this. I absolutely need to do this because so many parents listen to me. And, um, and what's been amazing is the amount of stories that I've remembered that have just, it's just like when you do this work, right? It's like you just get through the day as an educator and you're dealing with things that can be incredibly painful and you try and make it better and you move on. And um, it was, that's the reason that I wrote it. Cause I felt like I had not been as explicit as I needed to be. That was my responsibility to be for me to be in my position of leadership with parents to be able to say, these are the consequences when we do not talk about um, racism in this country. And this is the experience that I have, I have borne witness to watching um, black and brown kids, especially in schools around the country um, and all different kinds of kids dealing with various, um, various experiences of racism. 
So with their peers, with their administrators, with, you know, the late, the person, excuse me, that they come in to say they're late or that they're getting an, an excuse for whatever. It was time for me to do it. It was way past time for me to do it. Well, um, I'm glad you did it. I'm still like the jury's out. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean in. Uh, Shantara, Shantara, yeah. uh, educator, pastor, uh, you know, teacher, 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 preacher, same. I think it's the same though. Right. Um, I think it's the same. Miss McBride. Where are you from? First of all, Dallas, where, Texas, Dallas, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> you already still, know. You out? already know. <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah. The jury's still out. I mean, it's complicated. <laughs> you know, Texas is the last place to yes. emancipate people. Uh, kept goodness. people in bondage. Texas is a very complicated right now. It's it still is. very complicated to this yes, day. Um, yes, you know, I think is. of James Byrd when I think of Texas, I think, I think of, you know, Juneteenth, and George Floyd originally from Texas before yeah. Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you, you know, you have your history, but you also have deep pockets of segregation, right? So yeah. still today, still, to the to yes. day, you go Absolutely. to Harris County, you can be good in Dallas, and then Absolutely. the rest of the state is complicated. Absolutely. So how many white friends do you have? <laughs> Got to ask this question. Listen, you know, surviving. Um, in in school, and just like you said earlier, we know how to code switch. And so from from nursery to elementary, I remember my mother saying, because she had me at a young age and she was working um, at a place with a lot of white people, right? And she heard them talking about where their children go to school and where they she shop for their, you know, they shop for their clothes. And my mother was determined that I was going to go to those same schools, that I was going to have lessons. Right. So so tumbling piano like my mother, Esther Armstead, did everything she could to make sure that whatever room I walked into, I was ready. And and if you would ask her, did she even know what she was doing? She would say no. She just heard the white women at work talking and she made notes like this is what I have to do. So um, counting impossible because one, I have authentic, real friendships with people of all different backgrounds, but then two, surviving in school, I had to make sure I didn't have the luxury of only hanging out with the black kids because I had, I was in choir, I was in music, I was, you know, and so, I mean, and I went to SMU, one of the whitest private schools in the country. Um, And I actually tell people that that was my first experience with racism like a a guy my freshman year kept calling me Fantasia and this was before Fantasia Barino and another person on my floor was like Shatara I think he's talking to you and I said my name isn't Fantasia he said what is it and I said it's Shantara he said oh Fantasia Shantara KK Nay Nay they the same thing false false right and so but being 18 and I'm like what is happening in my RA her boyfriend is the one I was having this exchange with, was in her room. The door was open. She heard the ex- entire exchange and didn't say a word. He took, I was a vocal major. I was going over an aria. He snatched it out of my hand. And he said, what is this, a Negro spiritual? And I was so blown away. Like, I did not know what to do. Um, but from that, went to the Black woman that I knew that worked on campus. And she was in housing residence life and told her what happened. We, of course... Ari lost her job. He was banned from my dorm. He had to go through sensitivity training, you know, so I, I can't even quantify the number of friends. And, and, and I think that the, the idea of being able to quantify it, I worry about people who can count. They, you know, they like, I have three Latina friends. I have four, you know, I'm like, mm, 
you're keeping mm. a tally. Right. So that, I'm, not, I'm not safe around you because am I one of your black friends? I don't like that. I don't trust that. Right. And that's, that's why, you know, it was a trick question, you know, because, yeah. you know, it, it is difficult to not be um, to not be uh, moved by either reaction to racism or racism itself. Right. So so we we're navigating these these landmines and and very the, the the most horrific thing about racism is doesn't allow us just to be. You know, just to just to love each other, just to discover one another, to make mistakes. Everyone's watching what they say. If you're a conscious person, one way or the other, you have, oh, is this racist? I don't know. You know, to just be able to express yourself, be checked and challenged, to grow through it. There's not a lot of space for that. How do, well, does this book help with I that? I think that's what, yes, that is what we are doing. That is literally what we are doing. We took 20 questions that we thought were the most common questions that people either ask, have asked us, or want to ask. And we, we gave it a story. We connected it to a story. We unpacked what was going on. Sometimes they were our stories. Like sometimes, you know, there were times when I, I did write, for example, by Shantara. Sometimes I didn't. And then we, we actually walked through like how we figured that out. Um, sometimes there are other people's stories, but then it's all about the how. It's like, how do you do this? I mean, I, when I was at a book signing, I'm sure I'll do it tonight. I just, there are things that like, we've got to have people be better at not getting into conversations with people that they think they have to dominate and win because then the dynamics between the people, the rate, the racism issue, I think often gets lost, which is so, and it's, it's, it's so wrong that the actual bigger issue of racism gets lost because of the people's relationships or lack of relationships with each other. And it becomes this power dynamic between them, especially in families or, you know, all the sort of dynamics that go on in families. And so the bigger issue of injustice and of racism gets lost within these power dynamics within the family. And so we are talking about how you do that, how you hold yourself with dignity, no matter who you are in a really difficult conversation with somebody. And I also wanted, I lost my train of thought, Chantara. Do you know what I'm about to say? Wait, what was I about to say? You know what I was about to say? Right. What was I about I to say? I know. What was I about to say? I totally lost but my, let's say the how. Is, oh, oh, I got it. <laughs> the job. thing, I want people that stop. I really get so, for me, the epitomization, that, that and, the issue of people using woke, even for so-called progressive liberal people to dismiss racism. And that it's gotten so, it's gotten so, so quickly co-opted as a way to ridicule the concepts of racism and how important it is. And that Why we ridicule the people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. When, excuse me, if I wasn't clear about that. Yeah. Yes. So these are the things that I'm like, I'm just determined that we just, uh, that I do my part at least on how to contribute to making things better. Shantara, uh, Pastor Shantara McBride, um, are you optimistic that there will be a day when we won't have to have this uncomfortable conversation? I'm supposed to say yes, because <laughs> I have a niece who is two going on 22. And I have to believe that by the time she is my age, she will not be having these same conversations. And at the same time, I must say that if 
white people do not sit in the discomfort and and stop being afraid of making a mistake and then disappearing or deleting or running away or you know trying crying. to use the word work to oh crying right. lord have mercy. crying um right. that, that we are <laughs> not going to get anywhere but that's the foundation of these united states right and until you dismantle the foundation you're going to continue to build on trash and so we have to dismantle the foundation so that we can get to a point where we can have real discussions and real change. I mean, I'm 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 hopeful because of my calling and what I am doing. There is no way that I could go out and even write this book or even before we even got to the book, be friends with Ross and have conversation with Ross if I wasn't hopeful. Like I just I just got to believe. I got to believe. All right. So biggest issue that can be solved like immediately Mm. what can be well, solved immediately courageous yeah. discomfort yeah first of all who's this book for because i'm, I'm imagining it's not for black people i think it's a book for white people i just maybe good point because when i was writing it i wrote it for i was writing for white people but then it, then i started you know because you think about it's they gonna take are they gonna take my black card if i say this or am i you know <laughs> and so so i also had because the the other part about this is we, if we choose, not everybody, but those of us who choose to, we got to come to the table and we got to sit at the table. Everybody can't be at the table. Everybody choose. And I'm and totally- you can leave and come back later if it gets too tired. Yes. But I'm I'm all for that. But but the questions are definitely set around questions that I received through text message, through DMs, especially the summer of 2020, um, and the questions that I still get um, daily. So that that's who I had in mind. Okay, for you, Rosalind, who did you write this book for? Your part. I wrote the book for all the parents that come so they come so readily to all of my my books, you know, my books, my, the other books I've written on teenagers, and then and um, I I wrote it for them. Okay. And and here's here's what I want. You ask like, what's the smallest thing? I want the smallest thing to happen is that we can have better conversations around the Thanksgiving table. Okay, who's bringing a potato salad? Listen, not mama, me. Mama, not mama, me. No, Esther. no, no, no. Okay. All right. All right. right answer. Right answer. No raisins will be found. No raisins right. found anyway. All right. No. Listen. None. No, Zero mother. raisins. We want them. Eight raisins. Congratulations on this. Thank if you, you guys are in DC, go to Poets and Bus Boys. Check out these two ladies. Rosalind, of course, is Weisman and Shantara. Shantara. Shantara McBride. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.